Have you ever heard the expression, what's the tea? According to Urban Dictionary, it means when someone has gossip and you want to know every detail as soon as possible. So that's what this podcast is, spilling the tea and what it's like to have cancer or the big C as a young person in Northern Ireland. Recorded in 2021 during the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, this podcast series is hosted by Laura, myself, from Young Lives vs Cancer, formerly known as Click Sergeant, and Helen, myself, from Cancer Fund for Children. We have come together to talk about cancer services in Northern Ireland and share the stories of the young people and families we support. Childhood cancer is rare, young adult cancer is rare, so you're not going to meet somebody in your local community, potentially you're maybe not going to meet somebody in your workplace. So I think it is important that we provide those opportunities, both charities, yeah. and together provide them, which is fantastic. We have that opportunity. Yeah, and I think even what you said, Laura, about you know the kindest thing you can do for yourself is to say yes to these things. Yeah. And a bit what you said, Neil, before around you know around building that trust in no one. I think sometimes my role as social worker is very much to say, here's Cancer Fund for Children. They will do amazing support for you. Let me let them tell you what they can offer you but I'm endorsing that in the sense of saying you will not regret this decision because they're amazing because I've been to Narnia because I've had that Mm -hmm. feeling when you open the doors into Daisy Lodge and you see that view and you're like I just want to live here I'll I'll burn my own house down (laughs) this conversation was between Simon and Laura who work for a charity called Young Lives Versus Cancer and Helen and Neil who work for another charity called Cancer Fund for Children talking about our services and the uniqueness of our jobs enjoy so we, we've said earlier that we support from the first day of diagnosis, sometimes even before, and right up to you finish treatment, even a, sometimes a couple of years into post-treatment. But if we think about a young person um, who's newly diagnosed, what specifically do they get from us? What if they sign up to Young Lives Versus Cancer or they sign up to Cancer Fund for Children? What's the offer from us? Um. I mean, the, the offer exists once the need exists. So mm. if that's they've been told that it's potentially cancer, then that's where the impact starts. And I think that's where the support needs to start because sometimes there's a, a time gap between when you're told there's cancer and then you get your confirmed biopsy or your confirmed diagnosis or scans. And actually in that time, there can be a lot of damage done. So that's really when we want to be getting in or, or can be getting in to support. When it comes to what we offer, what we're given to people, it's... um. Social work support, uh, firstly, so we have two paediatric social workers in the Royal Beth Hospital for Sick Children, and then we have um, young, young people's social workers across the regional hospitals. And our role is very much to kind of pick up those pieces or help people pick up those pieces and make sense of what they've been told at the very start. And then throughout, it's about helping them stay on a trajectory where they're still aiming towards the same maybe life goals that they had, whether that's um, you know doing their GCSEs, graduating, um, staying in a job. And then sometimes when it comes near the end of the treatment, we're reviewing that to see how has all of this impacted you over your, you know, your treatment and the time that you've been out of these things to get you back to doing those things that you want to do. Um, and for some people, it could be a complete shift and change. And for some people, they just want to go back into doing exactly what they did before. And then if it's after treatment, it can sometimes just be about trying to find normality, um, sometimes a new normality that exists. Um, but what we also have is home from homes attached to the two hospitals. So the city hospital and the children's hospital where families and young people can stay in for free whilst they have a child or, or, or themselves are on treatment in those hospitals for a period of time. And that's... 
not exclusively, but it's mostly for people who have to travel a significant dif- a distance or time traveling in order to get there. And then on top of that, we've group work program, which um, is m- is around um, young people feeling that they have the ability and the experience to deliver a group work program for other young people who've been through cancer so that um, you're hearing it from an expert as in an expert through experience rather than expert in knowledge. Um, and then on top of that, we have yourself, Laura. Yeah. That is one of our services. You can explain that. Oh, can I? Thank you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we, so my, the focus of my job would be, um, I sometimes come in at the end of treatment and we think about what's next for you. So it might be getting back into education or getting your GCSEs, A-levels, B-tech, whatever it was that you were doing before. You might find that you've had a complete change of career, which happens more times than mm-hmm. we think. Um, and it's about how do you get onto that path. And that's my job, basically, job interviews, things like that, further training. Some young people have even talked to me about they want to start family and mm-hmm. how do we, they, they go about that process. So, And then we run group work alongside that about uh, being post-treatment and what that means. So I've worked for Young Lives Versus Cancer um, for nearly five years now. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest thing, is that people have this um, perception that when treatment's finished, that's you better. Yeah. That's you back to normal. And for some people it is. But for a lot of people, there's there's stuff to work through there. Yeah both practical, emotional, physical, lots of things. Um, so um, part of my job is, and that's the part I, la- I love, yeah. is getting you back to whatever your your path is, whatever your route is. Um, lots of flowery language there. It's not it's not always like that, but that's the way that we describe it. <laughs> um, but yeah. So I suppose from point of referral, and our referrals would normally come through a social worker, maybe a nurse or a self-referral, um, a family referring themselves in. Um, you should get a phone call from one of our community team and the offer I suppose that you should be given is um, uh, one-to-one support which um, looks very different to different young people and can it can initially start off in the ward if you're going through treatment at that time uh, potentially for teenagers on the children's ward you can find yourself being the oldest by quite a bit and um, which can be quite isolating if you're a young adult you can be on a ward where you are the youngest by several several uh, decades. decades I know <laughs> um, so equally as isolating and we totally appreciate that so uh, that we will discuss about whether um, we can help reducing the isolation and maybe some of the time that you, you spend in the hospital with just boredom or I suppose managing all those emotions that come alongside a new diagnosis so and and I suppose maybe sometimes carrying the weight of the feeling that you know that your family feels alongside that as well and for a young adult I suppose in particular when you're really heading towards that sense of independence and um you know that next phase of life and then all of a sudden you know you're relying on people an awful lot more um there's so many big feelings around that. So I suppose our, our one-to-one support can start in the ward at that point if it's felt needed and necessary. Um, and outside of that, it can happen in the family home. It can happen in a local Starbucks. It can happen in a forest park. Wherever a young person is most comfortable, I suppose is really important to us that we tailor that to the young people feeling safe where they're at. And um, we use that space to explore some of the big feelings that you're maybe experiencing. Um, and for each, uh, I suppose for different young people, that could be 10 minutes of really intentional conversation mm-hmm. that needs to happen. For others, it could be two hours of really intentional conversation. It doesn't mean either is more important or um, more valuable. It's exactly how much you need, actually. And it's never forced on you. It's very much 
here's some space and let's use it however you want to use it. So that would be some of our um, one-to-one support, which also is um, available for siblings um, Mm. of diagnosed young people, um, which I think sometimes is quite... Uh, untouched area in terms of actually what siblings you know go through there's so much change not people in families lives when, when cancer comes in and quite often for siblings you just have to go with it there's there's very little choice routines are changed you know all of a sudden you people are picking you up from school and or you're having to go live with grandparents or and um while that can be you know the novelty even very quickly wear off on on that so I suppose again it's another space just to um to say this is your space I am here for you like should we talk about this? Like, what is it like? You know, what has cancer ca- cancer done to your family, I suppose? Um, and then we offer group work for young people as well. Siblings and diagnosed young people, 8 to 11 years old, 12 to 17 years old, and um, 18 to 24 as well. So that happens down in a very special place called Narnia. Um, it is uh, a magical place, I have to say, down at the foot of the Moor Mountains, and we're able to take young people away. It's very much, it's the kind of bunk beds and real camping experience, and us around a campfire and talking really intensely about things but also really importantly having fun having the crack you know and giving a, a young people a chance to hear from other young people here going through something similar um exactly what you were talking about earlier on Simon about you know having young people with that similar lived experience that is the most powerful thing to be able to provide young people those opportunities to actually just connect with someone who's going through the same thing so um they are absolutely incredible. I, I love being part of those. Um, and we also offer the Duke of Edinburgh Bronze Award scheme as well for our diagnosed young people and our siblings. So we are a licensed organisation for that. And it's an amazing opportunity. It's, it's not necessarily hugely cancer focused. And sometimes people or young people can really like that, actually. But it's a real chance to develop resiliency, independent skills, have a bit of time away from home, you know. Um, and it's a really good opportunity. And I, I think given we have the understanding of how cancer's impacted your family, but we want to make sure you still have this opportunity to um, to achieve this. So we do that as well. And we offer a carefree choir. Don't laugh it off immediately because it's actually great. So um, we have a lot of our diagnosed families involved in that. It's for anyone eight years and up. We have a couple of grandparents in it who are great. But actually, more than anything, we know how healing music can be and how therapeutic it can be. And we come together, we sing, we laugh. Uh, We road trip to Dublin sometimes and and perform in front of people. And it's a really special community of people. So I suppose it's another area of our our group work that we provide. You touched on like two things there around sibling support which I think mm. is one of the things that it, there isn't enough no. almost out there yeah. across the whole of the UK for siblings and I remember years ago Phil who's your now um, Cancer Fund for Children CEO was doing sibling support for a brother of a young girl I was supporting and for that young girl it was knowing that there was somebody just dedicated for him for mm-hmm. you know to take him on a mountain bike or <laughs> for for him to feel like he can just offload onto this person that isn't connected to his sister totally and then that other one is around the Duke of Ed because we find that in Move Forward you don't talk about cancer but you kind of acknowledge that yeah. you're all there for that reason but just goes untalked about exactly so, yeah, definitely yeah, I, think, I think that's really important and you know there's so much of what's been um, spoken about I think is really really important for, for young people and young adults to hear with that that sense of connection with, with somebody and I and sometimes it doesn't matter who it is mm-hmm. and it may be a nurse in the ward maybe a switch worker coming in and maybe maybe one of the team from, from Cancer Fund for Children or whoever I think it's really really important but equally, uh, that, that point around young adults and that sort of sense of independence, I mean, young adults and teenagers for me are vastly different in different ways. There's a lot of similarity, but 
for us teenagers to get them involved in group work, the, the work that goes into <laughs> that. Um, and it only, uh, listen, some some teenagers bounce down to Narnia. Others, the individual work with a staff member or because you know mum and dad or because you've done work with brothers and sisters is basically the route. Like I'm leaving here now to go and speak to a young person about trying to get her to go in residential, but that, that work's important mm-hmm. to go in. And I think the reason for that is if you have a diagnosed child, so I'm speaking to parents, I suppose, if you have a diagnosed child, listen, I know you hold them tighter and you hold them deeper and you don't let them go. Mm -hmm. So it's a big deal to let them go with somebody. Mm -hmm. So there's an awful lot of trust needs built up um, and an awful lot of security and an awful lot of measures need put in. Mm -hmm. So we want children and people who are in... You know, who have complex medical needs, we, we want them on our residentials because we think they're the, they're the ones who are most isolated. Um, but to get them there, there's an awful lot of work that goes in. But mm-hmm. then once they're, that, that's the lessons. It's, it's what you and Simon both spoke about, Laura, around that getting back to where it is that you want it to be because now it's possible. Well, well it went away overnight. I mean, mm-hmm. that doesn't sound like such a big deal, but for a 14 year old, it's massive. Mm-hmm. Um, parents let them go and then for them to go away. Um, the sibling stuff for me is really, really vitally important. I mean, it really, really is. And same, and you, you nailed it in the head. We always say this in work. We say, even for a child to recognise that somebody's here for me, yeah. and we, we hear six-year-olds say that. Yeah. So they recognise, oh, well, well, Laura's coming to see me, uh, not, you know. Yes, that's brother. Sometimes the sick brother and sister get an awful lot of attention. So it's mm-hmm. it can be sometimes seen from children. Like, mm-hmm. they start to, you know, they start to have issues around that, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. The choir, by the way, I uh, was on that stage in Dublin, um, the very, very first team. And my biggest fear in life is to sing in public, um, and particularly in front of people. So I had to get over myself very, very quickly, because what it meant for others was was significant. But it was it w- I testimony to that. The choir's unbelievable. Powerful. <laughs> I was talking to someone recently about that uh, friendship idea. Um, especially when we think about young adults, so like late teenage, early 20s, you know, that age group. And I w- my biggest belief is that it's one of the kindest things you can do for yourself mm-hmm. is to really push yourself to go and take... Because I know, listen, when I'm listening to all of us talking about these opportunities and stuff, I know there'll be someone maybe newly diagnosed listening to this thinking, am I hell going <laughs> to go up a mountain and sit in a hammock? Are you mad? Yeah. Do you know what I've been through? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know how tired I am? And I totally get that or... There's the Ellen MacArthur Sailing Trust that do sailing trips every year. Like some of the conversations I have with young people, are like I'm not going on a boat for four yeah. days in Scotland <laughs> away on, and like I totally understand that, and I yeah. totally understand that you don't want to do that. But if I could say anything, it's that's the kindest thing you will do for yourself. It'll be scary, it might be scary, or it might be the last thing you want to do. But you need to build a network of other people that get it that have a same language as you that understand that you know stem cell transplant smell like sweet corn isn't that right and like you know they just know all those things and you can laugh about it and there's a little bit of dark humor and all this sort of stuff there you need that like your friends in school and your friends in uni your friends in work they're of course important too and they are they're going to get you through it but you need to connect with someone else who they just don't get it Get it, get it, if you know get what I mean. Get it, get yeah. it. Yeah. I think that dark humour, I'm laughing because I'm now remembering all these <laughs> stories. <laughs> and, and I remember we, we met this young young person on the team, again, trying to convince her to go, not to convince her, and I think that's wrong, actually. It's not convince, it's it's trying, what you said, Laura, it's trying to promote the benefits of, of some of the opportunities. And I think it's hard to know that, particularly as a teenager, young adult, but 
this young person was 13, 14, and was together to go in a residential. And we had an open night for parents just to come in, so to allay some of their fears and, and, and speak to teenagers directly. And this young person was in a chair. Um, she was in a wheelchair at the time. She had neuroblastoma. And she was very adamant, well, like, I'm the only... So so was this language around, I'm the only person that's had this, this. And we were like, right, okay. And in the room, there's no young person who says, no, 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 I have that. And it was like, oh, no, no, but I've had this certain type of treatment that nobody else has had. And this young person says, no, 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 I've had that too. In fact, I've had three of those. <laughs> you know, it was, it was, we called the cancer top trumps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they were trying to sort it. Uh, but, and that was just lovely because now she's not on her own. Mm. And, and that was just the most powerful thing. I'm not on my own anymore. Now... I think secretly she liked the fact that she was the only one at the, at the, because there's a bit of mm-hmm. sense of like weren't a wee a wee badge, but yeah. I think I think that was important um, because now somebody else gets this, and I think that's what you, what you say, as Laura, that that coming together with others that sort of get these these who else is going to get it? Do you know? Yep. Listen, can, childhood cancer is rare. Young adult cancer is rare, so you're not going to meet somebody in your local community potentially. You're maybe not going to meet somebody in your workplace. So I think it is important that we provide those opportunities, both charities, yep. and together provide them, which is fantastic. We have that opportunity. Yeah, and I think even what you said, Laura, about you know the kindest thing you can do for yourself is to say yes to these things. Yep. And a bit what you said, Neil, before around you know around building that trust in no one. I think sometimes my role as social worker is very much to say, "Here's Cancer Fund for Children. They will do amazing support for you. Let me let them tell you." what they can offer you but I'm endorsing that in the sense of saying you will not regret this decision because they're amazing because I've been to Narnia because I've had that mm-hmm. feeling when you open the doors into Daisy Lodge and you see that view and you're like I just want to live here mm-hmm. I'll, I'll burn my own house down I'll <laughs> so things, so that's recorded right <laughs> in case the insurance company comes after me um, but also because I've had over 100 families who have said oh my goodness, when I went to Narnia, yeah. I got that. And Helen is amazing and Neil's amazing and Gemma. You know, everybody, mm. all I'm getting is the endorsements for me to more confidently say, here's Cancer for Children, they're going to do this for you. Let me let them come tell you what they can do for you. Mm. And that's it. It's, it's not a hard sell in a sense, but it's just getting that somebody to say, yeah, I'll do this for me. Or parents saying, I want this for my child. But really, it's about them. Totally. Yeah, and, and Simon, you know, just the other, I think we, we talk about this in work all the time around like it's seeing opportunities. Mm. So Helen's very good at this. Um, and I always say that around it's, it's hearing something, seeing something on social media. There's an opportunity comes through an email and going, I know, I know, mm. I know. Now that takes time. But if you're, own, you're a busy person, you're busy in work, it's now knowing that, okay, um, young ladies versus cancer have this opportunity. I know that this certain young person yeah. would jump at that, would go for that, or oh, they're doing a youth advisory thing, oh, I know yeah. the certain young person. And I, all of that takes time, but you don't know the benefit because it's way beyond you. You've, you've maybe handed a phone number over or like a young person contacted us, Laura, completely out of the blue, and it came through the Children's Hospital, but now three or four years post-treatment, and you were just starting your group work program at the time. Yeah. And then you remember that from, uh, do you know, and it was just it, it was just by pure flick, the, the email came through, this new program starting that you were running, Here's this young person phoned and matched the two together. Now, I don't know what's happened from then, and and I I knew that he attended, which was which was brilliant. But you just don't know the impact of making a connection mm-hmm. uh, with another charity or or with another support or service or whatever. Completely, and I think it's really important as well, and something that I have increasingly learned myself is 
you know, don't make a decision for a young person. Yeah. And I and I don't get me wrong, I totally appreciate professional judgment at times, you know, and um if you're uh, you know, a young person or a young adult that's listening, there may always not be appropriate times that you can engage in certain things. But actually there there's opportunities out there that it's really important as professionals that we don't make assumptions that you wouldn't be interested in that or that now's not the right time, that actually increasingly as long as it goes out you know, to a family or a young person was saying, like, there is absolutely zero obligation or pressure mm-hmm. here, but I am just letting you know this opportunity's there because you don't want to, you know, we've no right to make that decision for anyone else or to be able to sometimes even know when is or isn't the right time because, again, like, going back to every young person's different mm-hmm. and you could get a, um, a flat no and, you know, I, I have young people that are hysterically funny and they'll tell you more than a flat no and, <laughs> but I appreciate that. You like to know where you stand yeah. and then you'll maybe get, so, and this has happened to me before where I've um, sent something out and been really surprised by the young people that have come back and said, yeah, I would be yeah, interested in yeah. that. And I thought, oh my word, I wouldn't have necessarily thought that. So it's so it it reminds me and kind of going, actually, we're here to promote these opportunities, not just of our own organisations, of, of um, other charities that are providing yeah. really good support out there. And um, that's part of our role to um, to make sure young people have information and um i know the like that thrive group that you ran laura was so brilliant and there were young people again there's a there's a young person i didn't expect would get back to say yeah i i would go to that i think that sounds really interesting and um i know he did go to some of the sessions and and benefited from it and i was like i did not see that coming but i was like that is class oh my goodness how like how good is that and it is so important that we we work together in those opportunities and Simon and I actually were together recently doing a joint home visit um, which was brilliant and while we were out a young person a young adult that we both support had phoned him um, about something and Simon says oh I'm just here with Helen here we're out seeing a family and she was like that is class you two are <laughs> together like working she honestly thought this was just brilliant yeah. and it wasn't you yeah. it, it really it made us smile so much because <laughs> we were going oh this we would normally this is normal, this is normal yeah, yeah. for us you know and um I suppose just maybe makes people feel even that bit more supported kind of going or again it's just oh I have that network of people around yeah. me mm-hmm. and um but but yeah I think it's really important that we don't assume or make decisions for young people that they are um, that they are able to make those yeah. for themselves and and actually one thing I probably didn't touch on earlier on which feels ridiculous because Daisy Lodge is probably one of the nicest places yeah. in the entire world but um, particularly if you're a young adult listening in um, Daisy Lodge is available for family short breaks but also young adult short breaks which um, you know the two charities have run together um, in the past and, and going forward and um, Daisy Lodge you walk in it's, again it's a magical place at the foot of the Moor Mountains and it is not a clinical environment at all it is bespoke and therapeutic in nature and you walk in and it's you know floor to ceiling windows looking out at the mountains and no matter how many times or ways I could explain it nothing compares no. until the moment you walk into that building and um, it's it, it, you know any um, young person that's referred in their family is able to avail of um, over the course of your two years of um, you know receiving services a, a sh- a, at least a short break a year but also for young adults it's an opportunity Laura that you were talking about for those um, young adults to come together to spend two nights ex- I suppose um, exploring some different issues some um, having a chance to relax to um, just have fun the amount of I'm thinking even like random games mm-hmm. we end up playing and getting very competitive but 
it's like a semi-structured residential, but it's a luxury residential at Daisy Lodge. Oh, yeah. But again, it's something that we, we I think, find it really important to work together on too because um, we recognise that there'll be young people potentially that I'll reach out to because I have been working quite closely with to invite along and also then young people you've been working really closely with that I wouldn't have the same sort of relationship with. But the priority is get them down and get them yeah. that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, as I said, we put questions. We asked the young people we support, like, what... We're recording this podcast. We're talking about um, being a young adult with cancer. We're talking about the R2 charities. Like, what do you think people should know? Um, And we got, like, loads of questions about our jobs. (laughs) Um, So one of the questions was, like, how did you get your job? Who's the who's the oldest not oldest, oldest. but longest serving member of staff? <laughs> I'm the oldest member here by quite a margin, Aww. but I think Sam and Steph have been on his job longer. Ooh. Is that right? Yeah, uh, this is oh, coming into the eleventh year, I think. Wow. wow. What are you? How many years are you? Six. Six. Six yeah. years. I'm a spring chicken compared to Sam. Not Nate. We'll put a photo on this uh, <laughs> podcast and people can So Simon, you're the you're longest. the longest serving <laughs> member of staff. Um, how did you get your job? Um, so I was working in adolescent mental health within a, another charity. You're a social worker I'm by social, trade. Oh yeah, I should start with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by by day, I'm a social worker. I'm Batman by night. No, um, I was a social worker in uh, another charity doing adolescent mental health. And then I saw this job come up. And I suppose for me, cancer resonates because when I was at university and I was 19, I discovered a lump in my testicle and I went to my GP and he mentioned the word cancer. And after that, I just stopped listening to people and continued (laughs) my year and just didn't do anything about it. And so I realized that there wasn't any support around there. Now, when I returned home from Belfast, I got it looked at and stuff like that. But for me, then when this job came up, I thought, actually, that's something that has been set in the back of my mind. There was clearly a gap and applied for it. I didn't, to be honest, I didn't expect to get it. I don't think they expected me to get it, but I'm glad (laughs) that they did. Um, And I remember the interview with Crick Sergeant at the time, and there was three interview panels. And the one thing I I took away from it was, why was I not being asked a question by a young person? Like, why was there nobody asking me that had it received the service so anyway thankfully I got the job and, and cut to five years later <laughs> at my interview there was a young person on the panel See? so yeah <laughs> change happens yeah um, and so yeah that's how I got into my job and 10 years later I have I'm still here and I've just um, moved into the social work team leader post so I'm still a social worker I still um, support people individually but now I have a team yeah love that I mean, I'm not the next longest serving. Yeah, but Neil, like, you'd be uh, the longest <laughs> serving. Yeah, um, yeah. Listen, uh, youth worker by trade, uh, professionally. So I went and trained in youth work, and I've done community youth work. Um, my whole life, I've always worked for charity. So for twenty three years, I've worked for charities. Um, and prior to this, so, so worked in health as well. So I worked for a HIV organisation a number of years ago. It's probably one of the best jobs I've ever had. Um, and prior to this I worked with um, Northern Ireland Youth Forum so a Children Young People's Rights Organisation um, so the CEO actually um, Phil is we've known for a long time we don't work together we run projects together so he definitely says to me a number of times you should apply to come to Cancer Farm with Children um, and do you know it's, it's funny because Simon talked about the personal experience and the personal reason why I came and, and for me um, 
I always say is that it's an organisation I would love to work for. I need to be emotionally ready for it, mm-hmm. and I need to be emotionally well enough for it. And and I listen. It's not that I was struggling, but I just felt it. Once you make that decision, it's 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 pretty significant. Um, and as I, when I came, my my father had just died from cancer actually, so I'd been personally touched, and I felt actually now I know what this experience is. This experience is pretty tough, um, and I had all the work that I had done, all the people that I had around me. I struggled. And I and I reached out for support, and I, I didn't find it very very easily to be honest. I I, I struggled, and I was used to n- uh, navigating for support for all sorts of issues. Um, so I, it felt right at that point. It just felt wow, this is definitely the right time. It wasn't on a crusade. I just felt that there's something to be done here. So my passion is working with chilling young people. It always has been. Um, I, I think that's where my skill lies, and in, in terms of developing services for for young people. So I commend the community post and um, working with diagnosed chilling young people. Hadn't got a notion, um, had never done casework, uh, unlike social work teams and social workers, used to work in a certain way. Our team, a lot of social workers, a lot of counsellors, not used to that way of working at all, um, and, and had to learn very, very quickly. But but I, like in many ways, the skills that I think I had, the experience that I had, were is exactly what was needed. Um, I think it was about being creative, being flexible, all those mm-hmm. things, um, coming up with ideas, coming up with new ways of working with people, and and I was able to bring that to bear, I suppose. Very, very quickly, that's where I met you guys. Um, within a year, then I moved into a, a wardrobe, so working in the hospital. Um, and to be honest, in, in retrospect, probably wasn't the right timing for me, personally, um, but it was a very important and special role. Like, yeah. it really, really was. Um, and it's only now, since coming away from because we've only done it for around eight months, but when I think of those relationships on the ward, not just with young pe- young people, young adults, actually with their parents, and I think both those diff- very different relationships with the nursing team. I loved the nursing teams because yeah. I just th- I just see them as absolutely super special people. But when they see you supporting the same patient they're trying to support, they're just all over. They're all over it and and, and will look after you. Um, and then from then I moved back into the community team. Done that for a number of years and similar to same. And about two years ago, moved into the the management role of the team. And I love that, and I love it for all the same reasons that I love working directly with young people. I feel like if I can have an influence on what the team does with, and I'm sure it's the same for for mm-hmm. Simon, um, if we can have, if we can just allow enough freedom, creativity, space, all that to happen, then then that's it. So when I when I talk, I still talk as if I'm doing the direct work. <laughs> I do bits and pieces um, because I just enjoy it, um, and probably at times to my own detriment. Uh, but I think I think that's important as well. I'm sure Sam yeah. would agree. I think it's important to always have an understanding of the work and not not be too distanced yeah. from it. That's you, Laura. Yeah, I'm next. So five years in November, okay. expecting a party from my boss. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. So I see that's so interesting what you said about being ready for the job because. Like, per, like very. Per, so I'm youth work and psychology background, not social worker. Um, but uh, yeah. So when, as you guys all know, when I was nineteen, my best friend was diagnosed with cancer, and she was treated in Belfast City Hospital, and that was my first experience of cancer. And her treatment was rough, and it became very clear that at the time, so that was over ten years ago now, more than ten years ago now, there wasn't. A, there wasn't the services there are now and it was very clear to me as like a really good friend with her at the time that um, she was being failed not medically like the medical side of things was amazing but the everything that came apart from health was just difficult mm-hmm. and it was complex and it didn't stop when treatment finished so um, that experience really 
influenced what I wanted to do because I was very really struggling at the time with what I wanted to do with my career so I um, went to a psychology degree part of my degree was uh, researching this topic and then after that I applied for jobs at cancer charities and I didn't get them now I was very young I was 23 maybe 24 and on reflection I wasn't ready for that work so I went in and did youth work stuff and I did student support stuff, employment education stuff and then the job came up in Click Sergeant and um, back in Northern Ireland as well because I was living in Manchester and I, w- it was just the right time and it was the right, it was the right time for me to do it. Now I've d- there's a lot of learning I've had in this role um, but it's been very shaped by that experience of when I was 19 to the point that I have to give part of my paycheck to my friend still. <laughs> to, um, so uh, she's doing great. She's amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so that that's me. That's how I got the role. It was a lot of different experiences all wrapped up in, but a, a, like an understanding. And I know that the young person who was on my job interview panel, I know the feedback that he gave was that I was one of the few people on that were interviewed at the time that really got what it was like to be a young adult Mm -hmm. and what the issues were, especially post-treatment. And that was just from my own. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, it's the power of including young people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. totally. So I will have worked in cancer and fertility for four years this September-ish time, I think. I am social work background, mm-hmm. uh, like Simon, um, and have always worked with children, young people, um, actually mostly teenagers um, and young adults within uh, the care system and secure accommodation uh, mental health roles and then I was actually in London working in a youth offending team uh, when this job came up and I'm going to be really honest I, I don't have a huge uh, personal connection to cancer in terms of family or friends having um, been diagnosed and gone through it but I will tell you now and th- actually this makes me laugh and I think about it given um, how closely we work together now Simon but um, the only when I uh, qualified as social worker the only job that ever came up that I thought I want that is Simon's job <laughs> so um and I at the time had just qualified and it was a band set like it, you know what I mean it, yeah, I wasn't yeah. eligible to yeah. apply and I was gutted like really gutted um I wasn't <laughs> <laughs> I mean yeah like well done <laughs> I'm really happy for you but I in terms of even I suppose what um like all of you have maybe touched on in terms of timing and being ready, uh, on reflecting back over the last probably nine, ten years now, I um, had some really intense work environments that at the time I maybe wasn't as grateful for, but now on reflection I can see how much I learnt and... um, and probably grew as you know in terms of looking after myself better mm. within a job too and so when I was in London all all my friends knew I always wanted to work with young people who had cancer um and the cancer fund for children post came up it was specifically a ward role at the time and my one of my best friends had screenshot it and sent if that's not a sign you should come home I don't know yeah. what is the inter- interview fell on two days I had off work together um so I was able to fly home without telling anyone and uh, in London and I had my interview and um, without sounding silly or, or cheesy or anything like that, <laughs> like I came to my interview and I just, I, th- I think I just was like, I'm really just going to be myself here. You know, I'm just going to, I, I had missed working for the voluntary sector. I find there is space to be creative and flexible mm-hmm. and really tailor your work to young people in a way that's not available anywhere else. Yeah. So I was, I suppose I was passionate about wanting to come and, and work for the voluntary sector again. Um and I got the job and I haven't looked back since. I there's 
no a job I would rather do I have to say and um you experience so much within this and it's it's lived up to every expectation I had <laughs> in terms of why I wanted to to do this work but um so yeah social work degree you know it wasn't an easy degree to do but I'm really glad that I, I did it and it opened up an awful lot of doors mm-hmm. I have to say so um but I also love doing this sort of work you can come from so many different backgrounds because there's a recognition of the skills that you bring and actually it's such special work that it's not just about all the knowledge you can rhyme off it's who yeah. you are what's your approach you know um and I love that I really yeah. love that so we got <laughs> we got I don't know how to uh, talk about each of the so there's three questions that are sort of next that came through and they're sort of all linked they're all about our work and I suppose like I know myself whenever you someone says what do you do and you say oh young adults with cancer people go oh right and there's um so one of the jobs one of the questions was is your job sad mm. I suppose quick answers yeah, yeah quick answer no it's not in fact I find it the most it's probably the most positive role I've ever been in um I wrote a blog last year somebody asked me to write a blog and wrote a blog and it was called um uh, does your heart good and it was about the work yeah um and I and I often find that when you tell people to do this work it's called a tip in the head moment a, a head yes. tips and the person asking the question and I go I don't know why you're doing that because like like Helen like every one of us have said actually we love our work so there's a reason why we love it we don't love sadness um we we love the po- the positivity and hopefulness within it even and some work of course there's there's huge challenge huge trauma in it mm. but even with all of that uh, it's hugely life-giving work I suppose yeah. And I think sadness isn't a bad thing. Sadness mm-hmm. is an emotion like joy and like uh, other things. But I think in what people think that the sad parts are, are sometimes the most privileged part of the job. Yeah. You know, where a young person has been given a terminal diagnosis or a pallet diagnosis, that's opportunity for, in my mind, to help that person still have control at a time when they feel like there's nothing they can control, like an outcome, but they can still plan the funeral leave gifts they can still make decisions right up until the point where it is taken away from them by their disease so that's the privilege of the job in my opinion sometimes what people think the sad mm-hmm. parts are and i think as well um you know it's it's given me huge perspective on life and you know you yes there's absolutely sad days there's days where you're you're, there's days where your heart feels heavy but there's more days where your heart feels full like I think is how I would describe it and um, yeah there's situations that although they're sad you can't walk away from them and not feel grateful and not feel um, you know thankful for what you have and actually more often than not those families would want you to be feeling that way you know what I mean they they are no, they know more than anyone mm-hmm. just how much you know, every day is a gift and um, choice is a gift and, and the opportunities that we're talking about, you know, um, how valuable they are and precious they are. So actually, um, yes, there are sad moments, but there are more moments, as you've all said, that are, you know, just full of joy and yeah. um, gratitude and, yeah. Another question that came through was, what's your career highlight? So what's the best thing? So that's something where you've gone, yep. Do you know, I'm going to go, I, I'll go first, only because I said it recently that it was. Um, so we are uh, developing a youth advisory panel at the minute. So we had asked young people, to, so it's from age 8 right through to 24. And right across our service, so where you've been bereaved, where your sibling diagnosed child or a child that has a parent with cancer. So right across the whole gambit. Um, 
and we were sitting down the other day. So we asked them just to apply, answer three questions and do three art, music, drama, rap, whatever. Um, and we got them all. So we got rap, we got um, videos, we got PowerPoint presentations. And I was sitting down to go through that like a selection type process. It was mind-blowingly good. It was wow. just, and, I, and a bit like what Helen says around, like I, I went in and I know some of the children young people. I just seen this list of names and I went, oh God, I can't do this. I literally can't do this. And I was an emotional wreck. <laughs> And emotion for all the good, all the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Just so impressed, um, completely blown away, uh, and and we we have them away next week. So with with these nineteen seven young people away with us next week, and and ju- ju- and from all those Adrian, so our eldest is twenty three, our youngest is eight, wow. um, and yeah, can't wait. But it was just so. But I think because. Um, as part of it, we looked at what these children young people had done with us, like what support we had offered, and it was and it was, it was huge. It was a huge amount of support. And the reason for them coming back is they want to help other children and young people. I think that really, mm-hmm. and in this work, I think, I'm sure we all would testimony to that around how much empathy and gratitude these children and young people have and their mm-hmm. families. They just yeah. want to yeah. do um, for others. Um, and I, I think I was really impressed. So, yeah, blown away, blown away. What about you, Laura? Well, I have been thinking about this, and there's been, like, loads of times I've been really... My heart's been full, as Helen said, but um, like literally last week, um, I don't think she'll mind me talking about this, but I was on the train coming up to Belfast mm. and um, going to work and uh, I happened to go through a train station where I had been with a young person a few years before and I always think about that young person when I'm going through that train station because I did you know, a little bit of work with her and talked about you know, career, education, blah, blah, blah. And I turned around and there she was. With her, and she was away wow. to do a placement. And I was just like a little bit emotional because I was mm-hmm. so happy for her. And um, I mean, that's what I always love to see is people... Like, cancer is always a part of you, I think. Uh, it always shapes what happens next. It always shapes... There's, you know... It's something you work with and work around, I think. Um, but just seeing someone find the next chapter, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, is just really lovely. And then I had like, it was a big hour long conversation with her and her mum and I just loved it. I loved the whole conversation and it just made me feel very light and happy. So yeah. that was only last week. So see what comes next week. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, like I know we can all say is there are so many Oh my goodness, uh, things you could mention here about different even one-to-one group work sessions and stuff like that. But I suppose something that means an awful lot to me that I've been part of, um, and I know her family would be happy with me talking about it, um, is a young girl called Adele that I that I worked very closely with from her um, initial diagnosis on the ward and carried on support with her in the community. And then she was part of our residential programme and um, an opportunity came up um with the BBC uh, children in need with the one show to uh, nominate people to do the rickshaw challenge um and I suppose um Adele had a very special story in terms of losing her best friend to cancer the exact same one she was diagnosed with and uh, had a fairly grueling treatment process as well and everything and we nominated her for that and she went through the whole selection process and she went from that first um, weekend away being selected um, and she couldn't even really get up on stage to share her story. She was too, I suppose, lacking confidence and emotional, um, but they saw something very special in her and uh, she was chosen one of six young people across the UK to do 
the rickshaw challenge and um, raised over eight million pounds for charity and was on um, the one show the whole week and uh, incredibly uh, special experience for a, a young girl that hadn't really been on a plane before and you know uh, hadn't had many opportunities I suppose um, to be involved in stuff like that before and to see her confidence soar throughout that was one of the most incredible things I've ever been, been part of. And I had the total joy of um, going over with her to the McLaren headquarters where they actually build wow. like the rickshaw and all the amazing Formula One cars and stuff like that. And it was, But it was a really special time to get with her in, in terms of being there and her being interviewed on stage and talking about how much, you know, saying like, if you put your mind to, to something, you can do anything. And I sat there totally in awe. I thought who is this girl? Like, this is incredible because to see a young person start to, I suppose, rebuild their life after cancer and um, to see their confidence soar is amazing. Um, But I suppose what makes it particularly poignant is that she really sadly relapsed and passed away and um, spending so much time with her family was a total joy, actually, in terms of reflecting on that experience and her dad would still say, you know, the rickshaw was the highlight of her life and... I think, I know we touched on it earlier on, but such an important part of our job is identifying opportunities and celebrating young people. And I know that doesn't have the ending, you know, everyone wants, but it is still a really joyful thing to be able to talk about. And I feel really proud and really privileged to kind of have been part of it. So I would say it's probably a really special, mm. special moment for me. I suppose because I've been around for quite a while in this job. <laughs> <laughs> I've got um, a couple. So I think one of them is um, I featured in a comic called Andrew's Comic. Uh, which is awesome because this young guy was a massive comic reader during treatment. And he wrote a comic based upon having to make a really serious decision about taking treatment or not. And I feature in it as the person sits on the side of the bed next to the chemo pump. And I just uh, <laughs> printed up uh, in, uh, in the office. And then I think for me was the Move Forward program, the CrossFit mm. program that Helen mentioned was um, winning an award for excellence in rehabilitation, um, which was kind of like a nod from the industry to say like what you're doing is, is spot on. And we just affiliated with CrossFit last month. Um, so it's a like that's just went from kind of my, blew my expectations as to what could potentially come from something that I just started doing six years ago and thinking, let's try this. And then I suppose... You talked last week about meeting that young girl on the train station. I got a text this morning on the way down here, um, or just before we left Belfast, um, from uh, an aunt. So her um, nephew was diagnosed with a brain tumour and they had went to America for treatment. And um, I had helped him with his degree and, and just kind of getting it paused and stuff like that. And unfortunately, he passed away um, last year and we applied for his degree posthumous. And, um, and the family found out yesterday that he was awarded his uh, wow. That is wow, that is brilliant. And it was something I never met this guy because it was during COVID. Um, but the fact that all I could do was send an email to his course director and ask for this to be done. Um, and for her to send me the reaction of the family was just, that was just heart- heartwarming, as you say. It just made you a little bit lighter. Yeah. So, wow. It's a good story. You see yeah, the CrossFit program, by the way, Simon. So yeah. I, I'm conscious that I kind of mentioned it, but maybe didn't actually... For people listening, you know, maybe don't know much about it. It's a, a CrossFit-based exercise program for 16 to 30-year-olds or above that have been supported by ourselves and impacted by cancer. And the idea is that when you come, we don't talk about cancer, we don't really mention it much, but it's kind of that 
untalked about mm. nod that you give somebody when you see them stopping to catch their breath because the fatigue's kicked in or they're only just off treatment and, they, mm. and somebody knows what it's like. But the best thing about it is, in my opinion, is that it's delivered or it's coached by people who have a lived experience of cancer who've been through the program so they know what it's like to have started that first day and not knowing what they're getting themselves into to then being the people who are actually delivering the course. So yeah. yeah. Love that. Love it. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say that and contractually block. <laughs> <laughs> um, Here's your pay increase. <laughs> um, so someone asked, is there any jobs going? I mean, potentially. We never say never. Um, yeah. We advertise jobs all the time, different types of jobs. Um, sometimes, I mean, on top of if we don't have jobs advertised, there's always volunteering opportunities. So there's always opportunities for people to have um, participation. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I would say um, get in touch and we'll be able to tell you what opportunities we have. Yeah, and if you have, like, we, we, we talk to, well, I talk to loads of young people who finish treatment and they suddenly decide they want to be a nurse or a social worker. Mostly and that social worker. Most <laughs> it's mostly <laughs> nursing. It's mostly nursing. But, um, and that's because they've had an amazing nurse. And it's just been, they are like, I want to be that for someone else. And, like, that's not, it's it, it will be difficult for, it will mm-hmm. be difficult for you at times because it will trigger something in you about your experience, whatever. But, oh, my God, you'll be a, great nurse you'll be a great doctor if you go down that because you will have empathy and buckets and you will have that lived experience that will just make you brilliant at your job but um we will always encourage you to go down those paths and we will help you as best we can and even if you do ultimately say like I was saying to Helen like I have so many young people who have been supported by Helen that say to me I just want to do Helen's job when I'm older <laughs> I want to be it's Helen it's karaoke guys I've told it you it's a karaoke um, and I so you might not you'll maybe not get there like it won't be the thing you do when you finish school when you finish university mm. it'll be a long path like we've all had long paths to our jobs but um, we'll help you get there we'll make sure you get all the skills that you need mm-hmm. to become that social worker for that young person become that that uh nurse become that youth worker neil have to say youth work don't i <laughs> yeah and you know it's funny it's funny um it's it's that one i, I find it dead, dead interesting because um it's a room with what helen says earlier in that connection because if somebody goes i want to be a social worker like not every social work job if i'm being totally honest is what simon does mm-hmm. no There's a lot of difficult or, mm-hmm. or jobs that aren't yep that fulfilling same in youth work it's, it's no different or nursing there's some nursing jobs youth work jobs social work jobs maybe just aren't as like ours, ours are good yeah. like we, we, we've, mm. we're very lucky yeah. I think um, like there's not yeah. a member of our team that would say they're not fortunate to be in the roles they're in um, what, what I would say is we, we have a young person that comes through treatment here even through treatment in Belfast and Glasgow he's now working as a full time youth worker he does casual work for us mm. um, he certainly wants to work for us and I hope someday he will um, we have, we have somebody came, just finished our diagnosed, was involved in our diagnosed group work, is coming away with that group of young people I'm talking about. Next week is our volunteer, so she's just started volunteering. Um, we definitely, as a charity, will have opportunities uh, similar to what Simon says and what they are. Do you want to do fundraising? Do you want to work for a charity? I always I always say to young people, say to me, oh, I want to do what you do. I was saying, well, what is it about mm. what I do that you like and what where can you do that? So yeah. if it's about helping yeah. people... Or it's about working directly with young people. Is there a certain type? Is there a certain issue that you, you mm. think is important? And and then grow it. So if social work's the route, then then go down a social work route or a youth work route or nursing route or whatever. And yeah, I agree. An awful lot of people go down the medical route. There's no doubt. We have two mm. young people, I think, now mm-hmm. studying radiology or um, at university. So um, yeah, listen, whatever, whatever it may be... Um, 
but I, I suppose I, I always, if I'm being honest, I take it with an, an air of caution at times mm. because I don't want people to make a life career decision based on a good relationship they've had with somebody mm. and with a professional. Um, so it's with an air of caution. So if you've never thought about youth work before and now you've had a good relationship with one of our social work, um, I would I would ask them to probably research it a wee bit more and, and know that that's what you're interested mm. in doing. Or come and speak to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well and, and Laura, you're right, you're right. And, and Helen said that earlier. We, we certainly, if we have a teenage young adult we're working with in their careers ways, professional ways, yeah. job, we go, yep, Laura, yeah. we don't, Laura. We, we don't. We say, yeah, you need to speak, Laura. Yeah. So, good. Yeah. I just ring Laura and say, this person wants to be a social worker. <laughs> <laughs> and I talk to them and they actually want to be a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, dear. There is a running tally somewhere of yeah. like who recruits Six the most. Five. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I love, love, love this question that came through. It says, what's your, like in our experience, what's your best piece of advice for a young person facing cancer? That is a bloody good question. So I'll go. For, I'm going to go first because what I said before about being kind to yourself and mm. finding your network of you know, um, other people that have been through cancer at a similar age, it's so important. It's so necessary, and I totally get that you may be not up for do, going to Daisy Lodge or coming to a CrossFit class or you know or doing anything like that. But just find a way in. We try and do a mix of stuff where it's a little bit less contact, like maybe an online group or a Facebook group or um, following us on Instagram or something. Just put a toe in and mm. see, and then build it up that way. Um, so that is my that would be one of my pieces of advice. But my other piece of advice is play the cancer card <laughs> and play it as much as you want there are so little advantages to being a, to having cancer as a young adult play the cancer card do it all the time <laughs> get what you can you might as well so that's it that's my advice that's what i do good love it Laura. i feel mines would be to talk about it to mm. not feel like it's something to be ashamed about or should go unspoken about. It's that elephant in the room that if you, as a, even as a person or as a family, just kind of talk around it, that elephant just gets bigger. Whereas if you talk about it, all you're doing is taking that control mm. back and you're not allowing it to then take over. Laugh about it, joke about it if, you're, if you've got that sense of humour, but don't let it be the one thing that goes unspoken about. Because what I've seen over the years is mm. that people kind of come back a couple of years later saying... I'm crumbling now because I avoided kind of dealing with it and the family have all kind of moved on because it's three, four years later. So, yeah, I've talked about it. Oh, definitely a really good question. And I feel like um, similar to you, Laura, I would, what comes into my head, I suppose, first is, you know, give things a go. You know, just um, and it may not always work out for you, and that's completely fine. You know, it's it's okay to try it, and maybe you don't enjoy it at that time. But actually, just giving it a go, even for your own confidence, sometimes you know, can be really good. Um, and you might surprise yourself more often than not. Um, the other part of advice probably actually is very similar to what Simon just said to to not be afraid to talk about it. Um, but I suppose linked to that is, uh, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions or, um in all spheres I suppose and, and in relation to, to all things it doesn't just mean you know medically it's outside of the the medical it's you know um we'll often say sometimes it'll be when you're you're lying in bed in the way hours of the morning and your your head is is going into overdrive and you have things going round and you know 
even get it out of your head, get it on paper. Don't be afraid to maybe share it with someone and um, to just to send that message. You know what I mean? It, you, I, I remember being, you know, a teenager, probably young, you know, younger young adults mm-hmm. you know and uh, but being like, I hated phone calls oh my goodness oh, yeah. I hated talking on the phone and so uh, you know I'm thinking even for me I'm like picking up the phone wouldn't have been an easy thing for me to do to anyone um but actually even just sending that message you know even if it's just I'm having a bad day you know and open up those those that conversation don't keep it in because the longer sometimes you keep it in you create your own narrative about a situation that you can often blow, even sometimes blow out of proportion. It's not the reality, but you start to believe that it is, which is completely understandable, by the way, you know. But if, if there was advice, I suppose, I could give, it's, you know, try to get it out of your head or just, you know, send that message yeah. to someone. To I mean, it's advice I give to people when mm. I see them almost for the first time, which is when it's three o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and you're going to go onto your phone to Google something, that's going to be the time. Yeah. But it, it's also the time where people struggle the most. Yeah. And so what... what me and I know that the TYAC and S's do the same as say, just text us. Yeah, We're not going to get it at three o'clock in the morning, yeah. <laughs> but we'll get it at nine when we switch your phone on and then we're yeah. able to help you with it. But yeah. that problem shared is a problem half sort of mentality. Yeah. But it also means that most of the time they get back to sleep because they feel, well, that I've done mm-hmm. that. I've got that yeah. out off my chest. So. Yeah, I would, I would, uh, and I echo every single word that Simon says for me, it's, it's, it's speak your truth, just mm-hmm. get it out and, and, and speak very openly. Not for the fear that you're going to upset somebody around you, not for the fear you're mm-hmm. going to upset your mum who potentially, oh, you don't want to make her any worse or make her, you know, because she's probably thinking the exact same way. Mm-hmm. And, and also don't buy into uh, that you have to be positive all the time, <gasps> stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, whatever you feel, you feel. And, and so for me, it's, it's always around feel what you feel because uh, that's, the, that's the most honest thing that there is. It's, it's whatever's happening. So it's sadness, mm-hmm. happiness, hope, whatever. Mm-hmm. Is, is That's the real thing. So feel what you feel. If you're raging, you're angry, yeah, you've every right to be mm-hmm. and, and crack on. Um, and uh, don't make any apology for it. Yeah, and that advice is to not just young people diagnosed, but that's to their parents, that's to their siblings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's right. talk about it. It's uh, make plans. It's take that control. You know, if you're a parent and you've got a child or a young person, it, you know, you can still control a lot that goes in the house with the siblings, with food. Um, you know, we we all know families who get bombarded with, you know, text messages from aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters asking for updates. And so we always kind of say, we'll make plans or make one person the point of contact yep. for all those questions rather than you getting it because your priority is sometimes your child on the bed beside you. So it's again, taking it back that control. Yep. Thanks to Simon and Neil for joining us for this conversation and a big thank you to the National Lottery Community Fund for funding this podcast as part of our Together We Thrive project, enabling us to share these stories. If you'd like to get in touch with either Young Lives vs Cancer or Cancer Fund for Children, our contact details are in the description of this podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the tea.